0: Well, over the past few weeks, there have been no lack of attempts to answer this fundamental question. What is at stake in this fight with Russia and Vladimir Putin? How can it be stopped? Even today, NATO allies refuse to cross the line that could lead to direct confrontation with that no fly zone because of the huge risks that entails. Now, speaking to the charge d'affaires at the Ukrainian embassy here in Ottawa, as a diplomat, he understands the, the reticence, he understands the avoidance of conflict with Russia or wanting to avoid a conflict. But what if it's already too late? What if there is now no way back with Putin or for Putin? Then what? What if, you pre- what if ultimately protecting Ukraine is really about protecting all of us? Joining me now is Molly McHugh, an expert on Russia and information warfare and lead writer at greatpower.us. Molly, thank you for being here.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on.
0: You've written two of three very fascinating pieces analyzing this war so far. Uh, the first one being called There Is No Way Back. I I think the title is pretty self-explanatory, but you really perceive this as, as very different from conflicts involving Russia of the past, the Georgias, the Crimeas, and so forth.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, and you still feel this same energy, which is why I felt the need to write the piece of everybody kind of hoping it stops. And we can go back to the usual, well, we don't trust Russia, they're going to do something bad. But we just need to end this and then figure it out later. And that we're just way past that in in the war in Georgia in 2008, in the annexation of Crimea in 2014, and then the war in Eastern Ukraine. Um, you know, these were smaller. I mean, not I'm in no way excusing the violence inflicted by the Russian invasions of those mm. of those places, but these were smaller conflicts um, that were designed to be more manageable with targeted goals. And what we see now in Ukraine is just so far beyond what can be repaired by telling the country that is being targeted to just suck it up and move on, um, that I really think, particularly in the United States, um, people are behind on understanding how much this has broken. I think in Europe, it's Uh, The momentum is much further ahead. Um, But I, I think everybody needs to wrap their head around what a big sea change this is so we can make smart decisions now about how we help Ukraine and not get stuck in this old mindset of just managing the Kremlin all the time.
0: Because you mentioned the stalemate of the last 30 years, this sort of we'll look away um, well, you do what you need to do in your in your near abroad, um, and, and for Vladimir Putin at least. And you think in this case, it, it would seem like Putin has now stepped across a line that 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 we should recognize.
1: I don't know what this what what inspired this moment of change for him. Uh, everybody has their own speculation. If he's gotten mad, or you know something has happened, or this is just the moment he thinks he is, has the most leeway to act. I don't know the answer to that, but the, the series of actions we see in Ukraine is um, meant to be a total war against a population. Uh, so all his words about Ukrainian Russian unity or whatever he wants to use as his excuse for why he is doing this um, do not seem to be what, what he is enacting in real life. Um, and the idea that we could somehow get past this moment of what he has now done to Ukrainians, uh, and that there's some sort of reconciliation that involves him as a player at the table, uh, is just not going to happen this time.
0: And and you did mention that that um, that it, it, what comes now, first of all, the Ukrainian military's response to this has offered an opportunity that many, I think, coming in, didn't think would ever happen. And is that that's maybe where you're going with this idea of a lack of imagination? Is that the reality on the ground has changed and. We haven't figured that out yet, at least not in the U.S.
1: I think in general, just uh, the mindset in in much of the West about the approach to the Kremlin, what they are doing, what the objectives are, how we can uh, act to either uh, contain or overcome them uh, has been really far behind. I think if you're in the Baltic states, as I am now, you get a very different view of what that is um, and what we should have been doing over the past 15 years. Um, But I think... Otherwise, there's a lot of running to catch up. But I think the good news is the Ukrainians, having been in an actual physical kinetic war with Russia for the past eight years, sort of had to look at this and evaluate it and see what's actually there in terms of who they are and what they will do and what Putin is thinking um, and come up with an actual plan for how to defeat it if a bigger war came. And I think that's what we've seen these first two weeks now of the war, um, that The Ukrainians have defied all expectations in what they could do and how they could survive and how they could sort of, you know, really expose the straw man of the Russian military might. Um, And I think you see that same level of thinking and how they are thinking about the world that comes after this war. And I think that is what's so inspiring because you hear nothing about that right now from the West. They just want the pain to stop first. And what we see from the Ukrainians is an effort, to make the war about Putin, not about Russians, the way they are treating POWs, the way they are messaging in public to the Russian people, the way the president of Ukraine is speaking to Russians and Belarusians and people in Europe. They're trying to find a way to get through this and have everybody understand if we help Ukraine win and help Ukraine survive, there is a different Europe and a different Europe and a different West with a different relationship with Russia that is waiting for us. But we have to take the opportunity of this moment to get there.
0: Because you've called this a war against not Russia, but a war against Putinism. And also Putin's view of, of sort of an expanded Russia where all the states around him are subjugated. They're not free to be together, even though they have a lot of common bonds historically. They're subjugated by Moscow. And you see that this could there could be a different, a different future. If Russia is not allowed to to win again.
1: I think this idea of you know uh, the the Russian Big Brother or however they want to describe themselves to uh, all these smaller these smaller cousins in the region um, is unmanageable anymore. and I think what you if we're looking at reality truthfully, what Ukraine has to offer, Uh, to the West, especially, is a vastly greater thing than what we could get out of Russia. And the idea that what we're seeing from the Ukrainians, which is an innovative country, there's tons of industry, there's tons of research, there's culture, there's educational institutions, uh, when it's not being bombarded by Russia, it's actually a very vibrant place, Um, And it's, again, quite sizable. I think we're used to thinking about these things in the terms of of sort of the Georgias and the Baltic states of the world. But Ukraine is 40 million people. This is a real country with a real economy and a real military. And the idea of how they could be a partner to a revived, expanding West uh, that's sort of recommitted to the values and principles that we all hold dear, that can be a bridge to places like Belarus and Russia that have been more opaque to us and harder to reach because of the, I think, the mindset on both sides of the lines about who we are and who the other side is uh, and the unwillingness to reach across those lines. So I think that Ukraine is really trying to forge this opportunity of being a a regional power that can bridge the sides uh, and create a different possibility of how we all deal with each other. Um, and it's such a fascinating and inspiring thing to see that they've even been thinking about this in the concept of how do you win a war and build a better thing afterward. Um, that I really think we need to sit and look at what they're showing us uh, and figure out what we can do to get there.
0: Speaking with Molly McHugh, an expert on Russia and information warfare and lead writer at greatpower.us, we're talking about a series of articles she's written two so far, another one to come, looking at the war in Ukraine, uh, and specifically how Ukraine has offered hope for a different future for the region, not Russia or Putinism for that matter. Um, One of the things that I found really interesting in in your first article, No Way Back, was this idea that about not letting Putin define us, that in terms of, you know, that it's empty space, not not making him, not cornering him, that is the problem here. And that's a really interesting uh, concept because I can't tell you how many times I've heard, you know, that fine line between provoking the Kremlin and, and, and sort of, you know, and, and dissuading the Kremlin and, and trying to walk it. And it seems like maybe it's a line we shouldn't be walking anymore.
1: I think the examples we have from the, the most recent, you know, time horizon of confrontation with Russia show the sort of pocketbook, you know, what do we say about Russia things, which is if you stand up to him, he goes away. Um, and, And I think this mindset that we've gotten stuck in, which is sort of Putin, the cornered rat, right? Like if you corner him, he'll strike. There's actually no evidence to show that. And what we have seen time and again, in terms of what precipitated the war in Georgia, what precipitated events in Ukraine in 2014 what precipitated you know, the, the large cyber attacks against Estonia in 2007 and other things. In all of these places, it was because they saw an empty space. They saw a vulnerability. They saw a place that they could fill before we took the time to do it in terms of cementing Georgia into the West, cementing Ukraine into Europe. Um, and and just they'll, they'll constantly test the Baltic states to see if NATO is Uh, Ready to defend them if something happens? Where's the line where they can strike, where there will not be a response? Um, It's the empty space that is the danger with Putin not standing up to him.
0: I'm speaking with Molly McHugh, an expert on Russia and information warfare, lead writer at Great Power US. After this, we will talk a bit more about Ukraine's military performance so far and how best to support Ukraine in its fight against Russia, a fight that so far seems to have been far more equal uh, than one in, than at least many had predicted uh, at the outset and what can be done now to make sure that Ukraine, in fact, gains the upper hand. We'll be back. I'm back with Molly McHugh, an expert on Russia and information warfare, lead writer at Great Power U.S. and author of two great articles so far, analyzing what we've seen in just two weeks, but really uh, a sea change in many ways, certainly in Europe, in the way that we've been thinking about what could happen in um, during and after the war in Ukraine, one called There's No Way Back, and also one about the opportunity that Ukraine has uh, provided to the rest of us to reimagine what that region might look like should Russia not be allowed to turn Ukraine into the vassal state it hopes to turn it into. That was a really interesting, I mean, the, the way you looked at it in terms of just how fundamentally important this war is now. If we look at the first two weeks, Ukraine has managed to hold its own, and as you mentioned, in many ways, win the information war, win the hearts and minds, so to speak. What needs to be done now, do you think? And and we keep talking and fighting about things like no-fly zones, um, yep. but there must be ways that, and, and again, it comes down to something you've talked about, is that failure of imagination. Where do you think we need to be imaginative?
1: I think, you know, there's these terms we're going to get hung up on, and messaging strategies that have been designed to hang them up essentially on no flies. on. Oh, well that means direct confrontation with Russia. We can't do that. I don't want to hear any more no's from anybody. If the answer from you is no, think about what the yes is. Think about what the strategy is to solve that problem. Um, Because the truth is the Ukrainians are not asking for us to show up with, you know, tons of boots on the ground with all of our stuff. They just want us to arm them and give them the stuff that they need to keep the war alive, the no-fly zone, um, a request was because there was this perceived inequality in air power, essentially going into the war. Uh, Ukraine has done remarkably well with what they have. And I think that what they're saying is, look, we have an opportunity here to take away the thing that was going to be the thing that would probably kill us. So why don't we just do that? And then we can do the rest. Um, and they've asked for essentially other solutions. Okay, if you don't wanna do the no-fly zone, give us the old Soviet fighter jets that are sitting around in NATO countries, allow us to use those to defend our own airspace, give us more drones that we can use to level the playing field, give us more missiles so we can shoot down Russian aircraft, which they've been doing with remarkable aplomb. And it's kind of interesting to see. Um, So I think in all of these situations, there's still this like, oh, what does the legal memo say? What does the binder of options say? I think particularly from the U.S. side, more so than the frontline states in Europe, uh, there's this delay where they're still just waiting for the Ukrainians to collapse. And like, guys, get on the boat. That didn't happen. It didn't happen the first day, as you said it would. It didn't happen the first three days, when then you said it would. It didn't happen the first 10 days, which was sort of your, your furthest time horizon of how long they could survive this. So why don't you stop waiting for them to fall down and actually help them win? because if we do win the opportunity is just unbelievable and what we get from losing is literally the beginning of the end of everything that we are
0: you put this in such stark terms when you said that this is essentially a battle for everything we've been fighting for in word at least since the fall of the berlin wall
1: it, i really see it that way i think you know you hear it from all of our leaders who look at our own countries our own democracies where there is fraying around the edges, division at home. We're fighting these internal battles about what democracy means and who we are and where we're going in ways that people, re- it's clear people really feel adrift. They don't understand sort of what the democracy promise is in this new century and what it means for them uh, in in physical, tactical ways and in ways that inspire them. And I think as all of our leaders speak to each other and the world uh, about These sort of existential battles between democracy and authoritarianism, between sort of individual rights and the concept that individuals matter in societies versus these systems where everyone's sort of an anonymous pawn. Um, This is the fight for that. I mean, do you really imagine that you, any, any free country, cannot do enough while Ukraine is dying because Russia invaded them for actually no reason at all? That you really imagine there's a scenario where you cannot do enough to save Ukraine and then look anybody else in the eye and give a nice speech about how important it is that we defend democracy against China and Russia. No, no one wants to hear from you again. And that's the erosion you see everywhere of the hollow words versus actions that speak to these things. And I think one of the most powerful moments of this is how you've seen Zelensky interacting with the public. And these speeches that he's been giving directly to European audiences in the streets and their reaction to them, you know, people are looking for someone to talk to them. They're looking for Zelensky to talk to them directly because he seems to be the only one saying the truth. And I think this is very powerful and the rest of us need to look at it uh, and take away from that the right messages, which is, you know, it's only two weeks into this. Clearly, if we commit, it's going to be something that's going to take longer. Um, but If we come through this together, if we stand together, if we win it together, there is opportunity for all of us to face the rest of the century in a revitalized and renewed way that otherwise we will not have.
0: Molly, this is not in your article, but are you optimistic?
1: I uh, am an eternal optimist when dealing with any of these things because I always have to desperately hope that everyone will show up at the last possible second and, and, and uh, make a run for the good. Um, I do believe that people's hearts are in the right places. Everybody's just sort of unscrewing their heads about how this needs to get done. And it just needs to be faster. Um, this dynamic where we've had the frontline European states, the Baltic states, Poland, some of our non NATO allies like Sweden and Finland, sometimes even sort of dragging everyone forward into reality in terms of like, hey guys, this is what it looks like living right here next to Russia and it sucks and we should be ready. Um, all of that needs to stop. There just needs to be greater unity. Uh, And like, do we really want another however long Putin will live, uh, you know, decades of thinking? What's the next thing? When's the next time he'll humiliate us? What's the next thing he'll take away from us? The next thing he'll make us swallow? Or do we just want this to be done? Because frankly, it should be already.
0: Molly McHugh, thank you so much for your time tonight.
1: Thank you for having me.